Hi, this is Tony Silva in Osaka, Japan. And Charles Wiz in Osaka, I think. And this is the 24th and final episode of Two Teachers Talking, where Charles and I get together and have been talking about teaching and what works, what doesn't work, things that confuse us, uh, things that people don't like to talk about so much. And uh, today, ironically, we'll be talking about uh, preparation, pre-preparation. Is this our final episode? April Fool. <laughs> you, t- you took it. You took it. <laughs> you got me. There you go. And I thought you were making a silly mistake, meaning the final episode of the year or something. Uh, yeah, you got one. me. You got I'm so me. glad you April 1st is not a class day. Uh, what an unbearable 24 hours that would be. Anyway, no, you so still, no not you still, our final episode. Do you, do you still do April Fool's jokes? What's that? You do well, April Fool's? I guess whole, so. Whole lesson plan. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. There I go. That's stupid of me. You just did one. So, uh, <laughs> Do you have a whole lesson plan of April Fool's jokes or something? Yeah. yeah. Well, we well, don't have classes on that day ever, so it doesn't really enter into it. So there we are. So anyway, uh, new, new uh, school year beginning, and um, what are we doing? Ah, preparation for preparing, I think. It's what mm. um, I guess I'd call the pre-prep. Pre-prep? <laughs> Pre-prep, what you know, I prep to prep. Um, I know it sounds really stupid, but it's the idea, and I'm sure a lot of other teachers go through this, where you've made your syllabi, right? You've done all your syllabi, right? You're kind of sitting down and thinking, okay, I've got my materials, and now I'm going to start getting everything sequenced and getting the lesson plans kind of together. But this is where I, I kind of sit back and and I'm sure people do too. And really, after thinking through things with the syllabus or not thinking through with the syllabus and submitting it, I sit back and go, what do I want to really do? How am I going to do things differently this year? Am I going to organize my classes differently? Do I want to, how do I want to modify the way I structure activities or, you know, the way I just even running the classroom? So I call it my pre-prep before mm. I actually sit down and start actually designing each of the lessons, looking at the overall, I think, meta picture mm-hmm. of what I do as a teacher. So that's where I'm at right now. Mm. And uh, how about yourself? Uh, well, usually this time of the year is, uh, you know, the one year has ended, kind of looking forward to the beginning of the next. Um, probably at this point, usually the, the most important thing for me is to finish my taxes. <laughs> Japanese and American. Right? Japanese and American, yeah, double whammy. So um, you got to do them both, and um, that's pretty much my my priority. Um, but, that's and, true. Uh, by the way, we should point out for those people who are st- living in America or might not know this if you're not American, he said America is one of the few countries that actually taxes its expats. Mm-hmm. Right. Even even we do get a little exclusion, but I think. Very. I don't know anyone from Europe, for example, who's filling no. out two tax forms. I don't know. I don't know any. And I don't know of anybody other than the Americans who need to do a file doubly. Huh. Oh well. well. There we go. So okay. So no, no representation without double taxation. There you go. Or something along those lines. Okay. So you get your taxes done, and uh, then you kind of weep. What for me? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, it, and it sounds trivial, but, you know, to clean up last year's stuff, because that's still here, right? Because, mm. you know, finals came, you submitted the grades, and you just left let the stuff where it lie, right? And my mm. material from my last class is still sitting in my briefcase. I haven't touched it since the last class. Uh, what about um, student papers, Tony? What do you do with those? Because we're, I'm at schools that actually require us to most maintain schools do. Most the records do for one year. Yeah. So as 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 much of it as I can, I take to the site because I, again, I you know I teach at five different schools, and some schools allow more storage space than others. If there's room there, I will keep it there. Um, if I've got to keep it in my home, I, I kind of keep it to the bare minimum. But in addition to this, the mechanics of you know deciding what to keep, what to throw away, um, I've noticed that it's um, in the the process itself has become a little bit more important because as you go through and decide what to keep and what to toss in terms of student work, but also your own materials and what you've done, um, it does kind of force you to reevaluate and, you know, look at what you did and say, okay, well, this worked really well. Um, This didn't work so well. Or, oh, yeah, I remember doing this, but 
I need to change this aspect of it. I need to fix mm-hmm. that aspect of it. So the actual cleanup process itself takes much longer, but it's um, much more valuable because it does force you into a kind of ad hoc reevaluation of the year. I think it's a good point. I, I'm going to address like two product placements in a, in a minute or two, but I think you're right that when I go through things, I go through the papers that students handed out, and I'm amazed that I always find out impromptu or just assignments or things that I just came up with or I found and I used in the classroom that I hadn't originally included in, let's say, my planning. And that's exactly what happens. I'll find a paper and I said, ah, that's right. I did that this in this class this year. Now nah, that didn't work. And then I'll throw that away. But if it worked well, then I'll keep that paper and say, ah, this is a good thing to use the following year. So I think that's a really good point about cleaning out your paperwork. But what I was going to say is that, as you know, I use Moodle and I've really begun to have students submit their assignments online. And I don't have to worry about paper, keeping papers so mm-hmm. much. But when I do have papers, and I'm going to highly recommend this, there's a thing, it's um, in Japan, it's, what is it? It's the Fuji ScanSnap or Fuji Xerox ScanSnap. It's a document scanner, has a very small footprint on your desk, and it will basically scan up to 50 pages double-sided in something like three minutes. And I just have started doing that, where I just put is all it, the... Is it handheld that you wave it over the no, paper? No, no, it no, no. It sits you on your desk. You shoot the paper through. No, no, no. You, it sits on your desk. You open it up. A flatbed? No, 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 no. It's... Um, I don't know how. what's the best way to describe it. It's kind of this angular thing. It's um, It doesn't have a large footprint. You open it up, and it looks like a printer. Um, you know, a printer paper has the, the loading for the printer paper, and what you do is you put the documents you want to scan into, like, this loader, and then it just goes, zoof, 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 you know, and it double, it scans double side, and then it um, will, if you want, set it up for optical, you know, character recognition, if you want to be able to search things, and stores it on your computer. And I should point out that the first time I used it after ordering it, I actually sat there and had a big smile on my face. And I usually don't do that with hardware, right? And Where, this is this is again the the Fuji Snap Scan, scan Snap, I think, or scan, Snap Scan, Snap Scan, or Scan Snap. I have it on my desk, and it's done wonders in terms of reducing the amount of paper I have. In fact, I even um, what I did was I. I used it to um, scan a textbook into my iPad so I don't have to carry the textbook with me. I'm okay. sure, I wonder if that's a, a copyright violation. Uh, well. But I don't know. But that's what I've done for paperwork. But I like your idea, though, going back to the real, the evaluation of materials. Yeah, that's a good uh, Just idea. for listeners, it is a scan snap. It is scan snap. Yeah, Fujitsu scan snap. Okay, so I had it right. Okay. Okay. Okay, so you go through the materials. That's one thing you do. What's in? Okay, so after you finish going through all the papers and tidying up and getting things organized a little bit and getting your briefcase cleared out, what do you then do? My taxes uh, again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also I changed my screensaver to something a little more seasonal. I changed from the winter screensaver to either baseball or or curvy roads to get me in the mood. Uh, but. Um, for me, when I think about uh, when I start thinking about you know the the big plan for the, for the coming year, I don't do much of this, but it's something that other people might do. Um, looking at um, research, you know, what research has been done, what research has been published in the last year that might bear upon specifically what you're doing in class, maybe something new that you're doing in class, or um, something that might bear on the um, first day of class, right? Activities, uh, maybe uh, different approaches, uh, different ways of dealing with the, um, f- the, the first day of classes. Because first impressions are really important. We talked in the fall about, um, and we did, I, I know that I did, I think you did as well, uh, a little bit of data collection about our impressions of the first students on the first day. And vis-a-vis our final evaluations and how valid our first impressions might be, mm. um, as it turned out, my skillet <laughs> this was, <laughs> was was pretty dismal. But I think um, students, for example, make uh, their decisions and their impressions are made on the first day, and those impressions are very strong and can be 
if they're negative, can be very hard to overcome. So a little bit of thought about what you do on that first day. Except in, except in Hollywood teacher movies. <laughs> where, you know, the teacher well, of course, makes it's always the wrong impression on the first day and somehow, right? Yeah, yeah. We should do a whole podcast just on teacher movies, Hollywood well, when, teacher when we're movies. Teaching in ho- when we get jobs teaching in Hollywood, we, we can, can change do the that. podcast. Right. So I, I think the importance of the first day is really good. And I, went, I wanted to comment that I found out that I'm also very bad at guessing or evaluating which of my classes are going to give me high or low teacher evaluation ratings? I'm finding out that classes I think that will evaluate me highly evaluate me low. <laughs> I have like a negative correlation in a mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. I, so I also did that where I checked not not as um, carefully as you did, but my estimates of students didn't fit at all. Where yeah. I, you know, I thought, oh, this student would get a B. Instead, that student got a very a surprising. Or a C. I thought I, thought, I, I was very surprised. So at least I know now that this year, this could be a big thing going in this year, is I'm not going to, I'm going to be very careful about initial judgments I make of students so that whatever might be coming out unconsciously or subconsciously or unintentionally towards that student. I'm talking about effective filters, right? Right, and the uh, there's 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 another aspect to this, which is which is is kind of an interesting curve. Um, We're in this experiment, this this setup, this hypothesis, where we're talking about the validity of our first day impressions, and we're comparing them with their final grade. Okay, should we explain? We should go back and just explain real quickly what okay, go we ahead. did. Yeah. Was Tony and I were sitting around talking as usual, and we wondered whether or not our first day assessments of students would correlate to their final grade. And so what we both, I, I don't know how you did it, but what I did was on, when I took roll the first day, I wrote down whether I thought a student would get an A, a B, a C, or not pass. Exactly the same. And I just did it. I think I had a little bit of correlation with the students I said wouldn't pass. But that's because the student was sleeping on the first day or something, <laughs> staring out the window. But um, what we just did is we thought, hey, wouldn't it be interesting just to write these down and see how it turns out? So mm-hmm. that's the background of what Tony and I are talking about right now. So, Tony, please continue. Sorry, I interrupted. Yeah, yeah, no, it's and it, it's good, you know, to re- and rephrase, you know, reframe the whole the whole situation. And naturally, as we do this, both of you and I are saying, "Oh, our first impressions, you know, we're just, are are worthless." But that's making a very kind of dangerous, like blind assumption that somehow that our final grades are yes indicative of something meaningful. And so it made me wonder, it's like, well, okay, maybe we need to look at both of these things, look at maybe both are what we're basing our initial impressions on. And maybe we need to also take a look and see how we're evaluating these students That's, and yes. what are, what is it that our final grades are showing? Because, you know, we, you and I have been doing this for a long time. As you know, we we say every all every. every we want to make sure that every one of you out there understands we've been doing yeah, well, this we've for been doing a, this a long, long time. time. <laughs> Listen, we know what we're talking. We're no about. whippersnappers <laughs> here. <damn it. laughs> um, but, but seriously, yeah, you get yes. these two experienced teachers that you know both been teaching over twenty years, and it's like their initial evaluation of students. Like, oh, why is that? It's like, well. Let's look at the big picture. Look, look at the look at the final evaluation to make sure that your tools that you're using to evaluate the students um, are valid. Make sure they stand up. You know, is this, is this a valid representation of what these students uh, have done or have, how they performed or however you're whatever you're measuring? Um, you got to look at both ends of that. So, yeah, it's. Given a, given another another month vacation, I might be able to think a little bit more about that. Right. But but I think that's um, a but good point. Again, something yeah. to think about. Yeah, it's a great point because I was going to mention that also. I think we're both going in the same direction, which is the initial response is I have no ability to assess or evaluate, mm-hmm. right? And as I actually know also that my attitude towards teacher evaluations by students has also changed over the years. Mm-hmm. And the and I always say that the t- the evaluation um, tool or instrument that is used in most schools I don't think is an effective way of measuring because it doesn't answer a lot of the questions. Well, it's I want. measuring something very very different. Right, right. And my favorite question, and you pointed this out once we were talking, is um, what when they say this teacher starts class on time? That's just like an espionage question. 
mm-hmm. that has absolutely nothing to do with you know me as a teacher so the instrument again is perhaps not appropriate so going back to the grades is it possible that uh, the initial estimation is accurate, but the grading instrument skews things in a way that is not measuring what maybe I want to measure. Yeah, exactly. Right, and that's the old thing about participation scores, for example. Yeah, and this is a really and this is a really good time to think about that. I yes, mean, when exactly. You're before the class begins, right? That's what the pre prep. Yeah, you're going to evaluate them on X, Y, and Z. Okay, at the beginning of class. Well, how are you going to teach them? X, Y, and Z. I mean, how are they going to learn X, Y, and Z in order to perform X, Y, and Z on uh, for this final evaluation? And how um, do I know that they have learned X, Y, and Z? Yeah, and how do you measure that? Not just performance, right? That they can show me that they know how to output it, basically. Right. Go through the motions. Yeah, however but, you're going to do that, whatever right. angle. That's part of this whole process. How you do evaluation, what you're going to base your evaluation. Yeah, yeah. And this is, I think, where... Pointing out that you and I have been doing this now for 25 years or so, this is the time when I do my pre-prep, as I call it, Mm -hmm. or my prep-prep. This is where I feel like I just don't know anything. Mm. Right? I go back, and I, as much as I can, I try to get that beginner's mind again Mm -hmm. and just say, Mm -hmm. okay, I just – what would I do if I were starting out from scratch not knowing what I'm doing? Because I think that there's something to be said for that beginner's mind when you're going through. But I look at it and I assume that, you know, what do I need to really change? I just don't want to repeat and go through the motions. And this is a little different from writing syllabi sometimes, which um, I just feel, and we've talked about this before, is sometimes just a... um, a thing we go through, kind of go through the motions, because when you start that class on the first day, you have to really modify everything. You have no idea whether your syllabus is going to work or not. But yeah, that what am I going to do? How am I going to do it? How do I know it's working right? How do I know my assessment instruments are right? And I think there's an interesting thing, Tony, we were mentioning a little bit earlier before we started the podcast, and I'd really like to go to that. And you were talking about how a spreadsheet, for example... (coughs) And how okay. you put your spreadsheet together, how that can actually affect your teaching, which yeah. I think is very counterintuitive <clears throat> for a yeah. lot of people. But yeah. I completely understand that. But I'd like – can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, sure. Because um, – and it fits very well. I thought we might be – that might be a big jump ahead, but I'm glad you mentioned it. But uh, you talk a little bit about, for example, how our initial impressions – but also the final evaluation, how that affects things and what, what's exactly happening, the dynamic of the class, what's learning, what is, what is learning, what's happening, what's not happening, final evaluation, is it really, what is it really testing, so forth and so on. St- stepping back even further, um, for the teacher uh, making the plan for the semester, uh, the uh, class, the teaching what you do, what the students experience, um, can be affected by, you know, all kinds of things, like the weather, your mood, uh, the temperature of the classroom, and so forth and so on. Um, and before Christmas, we talked a long time, it was one of our lo- longer episodes, about spreadsheets, which, you know, I think maybe a lot of people say, like, what are you why are they spending about, so much about how that? can you yes. talk an hour about spreadsheets easily but, actually <laughs> yeah, we did we, we proved that <laughs> <laughs> but the interesting thing is is it's like those a, a tool like the spreadsheet or the format not the lesson plan itself the format of your lesson plan um all the little things all those little tools when your first impression or your final evaluation um will have an effect, sometimes subtle, sometimes profound, on the classes that you teach. Uh, the differences in the way that you set up your um, spreadsheet, for example, can have a fairly large effect on the, the way that you conduct your classes, your mindset, the way you approach the class, the way you think about the class when you're not in front of the classroom. Um, when you when you're in your own office or when you're at home looking at things, um, the efficiency, the elegance, the aesthetic quality, um, the workflow of those tools uh, can make a big difference over, cumulatively in in the way that the the class gets taught. Um, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. So let's see if 
um, can we make it a little bit more concrete? Sure, very simple and very obvious. Um, we talked uh, before uh, at length about the you know the differences of using um, the uh, on an Apple computer uh, the numbers I, I work uh, suite unit the the mm -hmm. um, spreadsheet versus uh, the Microsoft Excel and one of the advantages of the of the Apple software is it allows you to put photographs right. of the students in. You've got a spreadsheet with student photos. You've got a spreadsheet with just names and numbers. I'm not. You, there's no way. Of, you know. There's no way to say that one is better than the other. But when you're looking at uh, just text and we're looking at students' photographs, there's a difference. Yes. You and think I, about it differently. And I think that's a it's a great point because on one sense I've argued for the anonymity of the spreadsheet that when it kicks out grades, I don't want to know which student it is. Mm -hmm. I just want the grades. But on the other hand, if you have the pictures, and most people I know are teaching approximately 200 students a week, I think that's a, a small, right? Let's say you teach. That's a minimum. Yeah, yeah. So you're <laughs> let's just say you're teaching 250 students a week. I don't know very many people who can remember 250 students' names and tra you know, track 250 students who they're seeing once a week for 90 minutes. That when you have those pictures... And you watch and you see a sudden dip in a grade, for example. You, mm -hmm. you can associate that with a face and say, wait a second. This That's, is something's wrong. Something's wrong. <clears throat> and it personalizes the data. Mm -hmm. Whereas when there's only... For better or for worse, yeah. Exactly, for better or for worse. And when there's just a student number there, <clears throat> I just see a blip or a dip in the entry. And I won't maybe make a connection. And I won't be able to make a connection that says... Wait a second, wait a second. This is the student, and ah, this week I did. Ah, that reminds me, they were low energy this week. Something must have been going on, and ah, it's represented in the, the data. So, yes, that's one way that the spreadsheet can, re a simple thing, just by and having that's, and pictures that's real or obvious. Pictures. Right. That, that's real obvious. But I'll, and I'll give you another example that's a little bit less obvious. Okay. There may be a little bit more aha. Uh -huh. I wish I had come up with the aha uh -huh one instead of the <laughs> obvious one. <laughs> well, no, no, I can't. No, they, yeah, but yeah, I, There's quite a few of these, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the other, the, another way of looking at it is, for example, is um, uh, on uh, – in this. Uh, I think a lot of you guys are in the same situation. On one day of the week, I teach three classes, which are – uh, the same subject, anyway. The levels are have been not the coming year, but in previous years. The levels have been different enough that uh, they essentially was three different preparations. But they were essentially they were all reading writing classes. They're supposed to be, on paper. They're supposed to be the same class. They weren't. But the psychological difference to me um, of having those three classes with three different Excel spreadsheets versus having one um, collection of spreadsheets within one document in pages where I have the lesson plan as one sheet, class one as another sheet, class two as another sheet, class three as another sheet, all those in one document, so they're all right there all the time, forces me to see those classes in a different way. If I they're they're all just separate uh, lesson plan and one spreadsheet you know one separate file and each of those classes on a separate file then I'm going to see those as three distinct different units yes and if I see it as part of one it's like I'm going to see connections I think and put things together in ways that I wouldn't if they were done separately and that's an example of how the tool changes uh, what the way that you think and way you approach the classes and the way you teach. And it's a great point because it's very true that you, t you take that exact example and you think, okay, I've got all three of these classes. I have a situation where I, I teach two classes that are similar and I treat them differently. They're in separate files or separate folders on, on the hard drive. But if I were to put them together, then I would have to grade differently because I would probably combine mm -hmm. the grades from both classes mm -hmm. and then issue grades accordingly instead of issuing or curving within the class. And so that's just another way to explain how it works. Another example would be just how people or how I um, construct my participation scores. 
and how easy it is to enter those scores into a spreadsheet each week. So, for example, a lot of teachers I know use attendance as a measure of participation, then that's what you will look at for participation, and it will affect how you walk around the classroom, what you do during classroom time. Whereas if I know that I have to issue a participation score for every one of 25 students, I'm walking around more, I'm noticing more, I'm more focused on evaluating their participation maybe rather than interacting with them. So I just wanted to echo what you said about how that structure of grading and the spreadsheet actually has a direct impact on what we do in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. So yeah, it's not about just just the spreadsheets, but you know, also like for example, your lessons lesson plans. You know, you're going to do it on paper. You're going to do it digitally. You're going to do it uh, to to what degree? I mean, how much detail are you going to put in there? Uh, is it going to be you know just a, a rehash of the syllabus? Are you going to think about uh, you know the specific classes, the, the different school that you're at? How much flexibility you're going to build into it so that after you meet those kids in a few weeks, you'll, you realize. <laughs> that your your plans might not be that realistic, mm-hmm. um, you know, or, or you you might have grossly underestimated them, which happened to me. Um, and so yeah, sometimes you know, despite all this pre planning and planning, sometimes your 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 plan just go right out the window. Uh, I I got thrown, you know, I changed schools, uh, um, one of the schools that I uh, taught at, and. You know, again, I've been teaching for a long time, so you can't teach me anything new. I I know the lay of the land. I know how this works. And um, went to the, you know, first class, and I'd done my usual, you know, stick, and uh, kids are all, you know, sitting their hands folded, you know, kind of seeming like they're paying attention. No idea if they understand or don't. And um, get to the end, it's like, you know, anybody have any questions? Of course. Every teacher in Japan knows. Students. Silence. Students are never going to have a question. Student raises his hand. He says, yeah, uh, excuse me, I have a question. I go, okay, great. <laughs> well, something's first. different here. Says, yeah, something's different. And I, that was not <laughs> as shocking as that was. I wasn't was, that. As shocking as that was, the question was, do you ever regret having become a teacher? Wow. Okay, now I throw my syllabus out <laughs> my, and my plan for the years. Like, obviously, this is not the class that I had prepared for. Obviously, their level was way beyond anything that, um, you know, above anything that I, I have taught before and needed to just go back to square one. Mm. Um, so, you know, we're talking about planning and pre planning and things. And you have to talk about, and I mentioned, build in some flexibility because you're going to have to tweak things. Well, not maybe you're going to have to tweak things. You always have to tweak things. And I want to run with that tweak comment. I think one of the major things that I'm doing is tweaking. And I don't know if if people, because I've been doing this a long time and I've been on this planet a lot longer than I want to even admit, but there was a time when you would tune a radio and it would be a non-digital radio and it would have the tuner knob and you'd have to go back and forth with the knob in smaller and smaller increments plus and minus until you absolutely got the perfect point for reception and that's what tweaking really is it's those tiny little changes that you make to something and learning how to tweak is one of those important skills that i recommend to any beginning teacher don't reinvent the wheel. You can find almost any lesson plan, activity, paper, task, and just tweak it. And knowing how to tweak is important. And I, I spend a lot of time tweaking things. Before. Well, that's where the art is. And that's yes. The, yeah, there's, there's, that's uh, the craft. Yeah, that's the craft of teaching. Exactly, because there's, there's tons of stuff out there. And you might look at it and say, well, no, this is shit. This is, I can't, this is crap. I can't. Look at it carefully. Pull out the pieces that are useful for you make it change it it's not it's not supposed it's like a food recipe right the best cooks never follow the a recipe they might have a, re, a base, basic recipe in the back of their minds but you you, you just know it's like no that's way too much salt mm. or, oh no this would you know we really need we, we're what, going to cut the sugar in half we're going to put in some honey or what happens if i do this yeah and you and yeah and if you're a good cook you know what's going to happen right and sometimes you don't. And some say, well, let's try it. 
Right. And this kind of leads us into that whole issue of of design, I think. Mm. And that you talked about in the sense with um, designing the spreadsheet. Right. But And there's, a, a, I think, in a movement now of understanding the importance of design. I mean, Apple, of course, you know, since we both use a lot of Apple products. Oh, really good example. Of I mean, just I, how the design, the idea that the, the machine should be easy to use and elegant and aesthetically pleasing. You know, this idea. And, and more, and more. And, and the actual workflow, I mean, it should actually enhance what you're doing. It should make what you're doing easier than it would be any other way. It should help you, not work against you. It it shouldn't be fighting you. It should assist in the flow. And just to explain it, it's amazing to me that when the iPad first came out, and it still does this, it doesn't come with an instruction book. And you basically could give any kid like an iPad, and they could figure it out just by touching and playing with it, how it worked. And that idea of finding the fit between form and content is really important. And I think looking at design features, like just looking at how the classroom is designed, we've talked about this before, is a big thing. And a lot of the tweaks that I think I make and that I think teachers can make it while they're getting pre-prepping, so to speak, is in tweaking your materials for usability, making sure that for lack of a better term, that the user interface is easy? Is the material easy to understand? Is it consistent with the other materials you're giving? Do stu- are students able to say, ah, I've filled out these kind of papers before. I've used this kind of paper. I know what to do. A good example of that is just a gap activity. After students have done one or two gap activities, they know what to do after you hand them a gap activity. So I think finding that fit between what you want to achieve and being able to modify something. Make sure your materials and lesson plans and ideas, I think, what is it they said, Tony, that we should be flexible? Yeah, you have open, to have built-in flexibility. To, open to that change. And, and, yeah, ideally what you want is from the beginning where you you know work with your syllabus, whether it's the one that you submit to the school or the one that you actually use in your head uh, when, you, when you come to the class, the tools that you use or construct to organize and plan your classes, to conduct your classes, the activities that you have the students do, the material that you use to uh, give information to the students, all those things, your your approach, the way you introduce it to the kids, the way you walk into the classroom, uh, all of those things ideally should make the n- next step, the learning, the acquisition the most natural, most easy, inevitable step, so that they can't help but go to that. That, that would be that would be odd to do anything else. It would just set everything up so that the natural flow is to that knowledge, skill acquisition, that bit of learning. That makes it. By default, that is the default. Of course, that's what they would do. They wouldn't do something else. It makes it the most natural thing. They get the reward. Bam, you're there. And I could do that with my eyes closed, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I it takes ideally. no effort. I did say ideally. I never said that okay, people would do that. <laughs> talk, I, it's, that's what we're aiming for, is that just natural and almost um, and. A, pro- a progression that's inevitable, but it's right, not. Right. But yeah, easier th- said than done. Ah, yeah. but one of the things I found that makes it easier for me is I start backwards. You know, right? we talked about that before. Again yeah, and again, right? Exactly. Okay, start. This out, is where I want to get. This is where we want to be. I, okay, this is what they're going to do on the last day. This is what they're mm-hmm. going to achieve. What do they have to achieve before that? And it's a whole lot better because if you think about how we used to map before we had these great navigation tools, right? Is mm-hmm. that you looked at your starting point and your end point and your brain is basically working in both directions, right? Or, right. you know, you're not actually going, okay, I take this road out. You're actually trying to figure out, I got to get from point A to point B. Um, those forking paths, uh, the garden of forking paths, right? There's so many variations and not starting from the just the beginning but looking at the end is helpful but also you got to be careful and this is what i get scared of a lot is sometimes i find myself in lock-in that i just i got to get them there 
if I start mm-hmm. with that end goal. No, I got to get them there. And that starts controlling everything I want to do. And that could be a positive and a negative. Mm-hmm. Right. And some, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I can't tell sometimes when you just got to go, no, you know, that goal is not obtainable or that's the wrong goal or objective <clears throat> for this class. That's like when you walked into that one class and you kind of go, uh, I think I'm going to have to redo things. <laughs> right. So that flexibility. And again, the idea that you're designing an environment that hopefully has a natural progression that is also, by the way, makes sense to the students. Mm-hmm. That's something I find that I have to always look at and say, wait a second, reviewing things. Did what the, the assignments I gave to my students, was it understandable to them how this tied into their learning? It never, it never hurts to step back for a second and explain to them why they're yes. doing something. And um, designing that into your class, making sure yeah. that there's an extra one minute or so. This is why we're doing this. Th- I gotta always remember to do that. It's I've gotten the review part down, right? Start a class mm-hmm. with a review, end a class with a review. I basically made sure that I can do that, but making sure that there's always this is why we're doing this is something I forget a lot of the time. Sure, and I gotta yeah. remember to do that. And also it's reinforcing for me. And I find that if I have to say this is why we're doing this, it actually makes me think through much more clearly whether or not I should do the activity. (laughs) So maybe we shouldn't be doing it. I I don't know why we're doing this. Maybe we shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, that's my nightmare. we're wasting our time. Wouldn't that be funny is you get to the the front of the class and you say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And we're doing this because – wait a second. This is an absolute waste of time. We're not going to do this We're doing this because Tony is tired. (laughs) Or I'm doing this because – And he doesn't know what else to do. (laughs) Uh, but that's, it's a great little test or tool for evaluating whether or not an activity is really needed. Yeah, right. And, and for tweaking too, as, as you said. Exactly. Okay. If it doesn't seem to make sense, what can I do to make sense out of it? And yeah, so I think those are a lot of those are just, you know, what we're talking about right now is what happens when I sit in, you know, I sit at the desk trying to put the classes together. (laughs) All these questions come up and staring into the void. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. The other thing, I think the uh, another. Oh, thing let's I skip over the void. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, <laughs> I just let's, saw let's, it opening. Just up to in divert front your attention from that. Right. Pay no attention to that gaping hole. Oh. Um, the other, one of the other things that I, I talked a little bit about first impressions um, you know, before, and we, we we talked about it, and uh, in this kind of reflective state i think one of the things that's worth thinking about um and you know go ahead try to avoid it um your first class and try to avoid um, your first class well no avoid thinking about <laughs> oh. anything else because you got you you know you walk into that you know what it's like you walk into that first class after being out of the classroom for two or three months and then you get that shaky feeling it's like i don't know how to do this anymore well what do i do <laughs> and you're trying to looking for your sea legs again um so i think some thinking about that first day, I think it pays off big dividends. And, um, you know, really, we t- you talked about thinking about the end and working backwards. Yeah. For yourself, clear idea, attainable or not, we don't know yet because you haven't met the students. Uh, but what is it that you want the students to get? You know, you've got some, some class, you know, whether it's conversation, writing class, listening, whatever it might be, whatever level. So, okay, and in your mind, you can say, okay, what is it? Key components. What's important? What are the priorities? What is it that you want these kids to be able to do by the end? What? Why? Everything else. Again, so that's that's for you. How do you communicate to the kids, um, the students in the class, like their reason for being there? How do you communicate that to them? You know, in in a way that makes sense, in a way that they can understand, in a way that they can appreciate. You know, whether they're interested in English or they could care less, say, never, never mind. The reason you're here is for this. You've got to communicate that. Otherwise, they're lost. You've got to, they've got to, their effort, their presence, anything to do with it, you've got to, you, there's got to be justification. You've got to explain that to them. Um, it's a very good you know, point. A long time, something last year we talked about a lot about creating a cooperative atmosphere to avoid any kind of adversarial type thing. We went through that over and over and over. But that first class is your chance 
to lay the groundwork for what you want the class to be. And it warrants some thought and planning. And I mean, really deep, I think. I don't think any energy that you spend, any energy that you spend, uh, energy or time that you spend um, laying the groundwork for that is going to be wasted. Right. I think that's, uh, that's it's, a good point. It, that first class, I think, is, is critical. And and I think if there's one thing that, you know, it's a takeaway thing, two words, clear expectations. Um, number one, that requires that you <laughs> have a clear idea of what you expect the students to do. Um, two, you've got to figure out a way to communicate that to them. And something that we've talked about over and over uh, in, in, the, in our last year of, uh, of podcasts, never assume that they understand, regardless of how clear your explanation is or how you think it, how clear you think it is, never assume that they understand what it is that you're telling them. Mm. Um, make sure that you've got a real, number one, you've got a real good idea idea of what you expect of them and then two um you know make some effort to make that understandable to them so that they know um so many teaching problems um that i see that i hear about that i have um are the result of you know just that mistake assuming that the student knows what is expected of him or her Mm. Um, a lot of times the student doesn't get it. And a lot of times that's the teacher's fault. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, and a perfect example of that is to turn to students on the first day and to say, you know, for you to pass this class to minimally get a grade, a passing grade will probably require 45 minutes to an hour of work outside of class and i know people who are uh, an hour of work that's more than all my other classes together but that's a fair thing to tell students because they can drop in the first week or so or maybe change classes and find another class in some universities i think if it's not a required class it's different if it's a required class but it's a fair thing to say to students and I, I like your idea that being clear and then making sure it's explained in the simplest manner possible so that you can as much as possible guarantee that all students get it so there's no miscommunication is a great point but while you were talking about that i was kind of tickled an idea that i've had in the back of my head for a while which is um i remember many many years ago there was um for the san francisco 49ers was a football coach um bill walsh not Joe Walsh. Joe Walsh is a guitar player, right, for the Eagles. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, Bill Walsh. And I remember there was an interesting thing that he would run the set. He would pre-plan or choose like 15 or 20 plays at the beginning of a game. And regardless of the position on the field, they would run those 20 plays. Kind of was like a diagnostic to see what's happening. And I realized that I try to create an atmosphere that's cooperative, as you pointed out, Tony. I try to set up, explain the class, but I don't really use the first day as a exploration of what my students are bringing to the classroom. And that might be an intriguing thing to try, is to say, what if I set up the first day as like a series of activities that will give me a really clear idea of my students' abilities, and then I can figure out what to do from there, is one thing. And the other thing I think I've mentioned before that I've really toying with and I still can't get the mechanics down is actually giving my students a choice of opting in for a um, an A track, B track, a or C track, track yeah. a, 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 B, or C track in the class, which would determine how much work they have to do, and that it would affect you know how they interact in the class. But it's turning into a nightmare. I haven't been able to figure it out. Yeah, I was saying you were talking about doing that. Are you going to try that this year? I'm going to. I have some general ideas about it, and I might pilot that. I think what I'm going to do, actually, is on the first day, is ask students, actually give them a choice, and just um, poll them to see, survey them, to see how many would like that system. I said, if I gave you a choice that you could just be on a C track, which means that you have to do X, Y, and Z, and you'll get a C, or if you want to aim for a B, and it doesn't guarantee you getting this grade naturally, of course. So I might, I'm going to try looking into that. I think I'm going to try to run it in one of my classes and pilot that and see how it works. But it would be interesting. But 
yeah, the first day, yeah, yeah, that's an interesting thing. And all the ways that wondering, how can I make my first day class better after all these years? <laughs> that's mm-hmm. always a great thing. Okay. It's kind of humbling, right? I mean, it it's, is, it's, yes. It's it, it, Going back to that first day is always... Um, Oh, it's always hard, and I imagine I mean, some people new to the profession or new to Japan, um, thinking about you know maybe your second or third year coming back. It's like, oh, geez, I really don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and that doesn't change. <laughs> You'll be saying the same thing after twenty years. Yeah, the same feeling. Well, I think some people do. I think that um, most of the people I know actually are doing that, but I kind of believe that I did my best teaching I think my third year huh, my first year I didn't know what I was doing so I would just try anything and then the second year I had a little bit of background so I refined things but I think that my third year third fourth years I did some really really good teaching because it was still I was getting a better sense of what I was doing but I still didn't know what could work and there was a lot of improv- improvising going on in the class Whereas now I definitely know that I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, and I don't. Yeah, I, I'd have a very hard time gauging, measuring, trying to judge which when I did my best teaching. I have no idea. Yeah, but I'm just thinking about that. That that's what really happens this this period of time, right? The mm. before classes are starting up is that this pre prep, this meta thing of who am I as a human being? Right. What as a teacher, what are the values that I hold to be important? Do I have any absolute values? What have I done over the past year that makes me second guess myself? Do I have to change things? Do I have to change my attitude? Do I have to change my approach? Um, And it's not just things based on research. It's as a human being. And this is perhaps I think the best part of being a teacher is that it really ties into who you are as a human being. And it becomes a nice kind of personal growth tool, to use that California phrase. And I imagine you're gagging over there on the other side, Tony. I'm trying not to to listen. listen. Oh, that California stuff. (laughs) Well, that's that's you the whole time with me, is trying not to listen to me. Now I know how my students feel. (laughs) Okay. But... There he goes again. Oh, God. Running off on that California stuff. So... Those aspects of not just theory or straight classroom things, right? But how how is it okay to scold a student? Or what kind of feedback do I want to give? How do I want to approach problematic students who I know I will have? How do I want to approach the unmotivated students? What should I do with lower level students? What am I communicating? Um, and being, again, as you pointed out, kind of developing that kind of clarity, and being able to go in on the first day with the I, knowing what I need to work on and making sure that it's at the forefront of my awareness that, okay, this year, in this class, right now, I'm going to lay down the foundations that will embody and allow me to explore this certain aspect that I want to explore. And again, it could be simple as simple as how I'm giving feedback to students. Mm-hmm. Or it could simply be, okay, this year I'm going to print out all my student lists with pictures and refer to student, every student by name, even if I have to use a piece of paper. I think that's one of my things I want to do this year. But the the doubts are always interesting. And But the difference, I think, Tony, being a teacher for this period of time versus being a beginning teacher is the doubts now feel part of the process. Oh, yeah, you're comfortable with and the I'm, doubts. Exactly. You're comfortable with the uncertainty. Yeah, yes, 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 yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're not, it, doesn't, it doesn't scare you anymore. It's like, oh, this, this, is, this, this, is exactly. the, this is what the water's like. This is how it is. Okay, it's going to be cold water again, and I don't have to dip my toe into it, or I don't have to be scared of the shock of cold <laughs> water. But you're right. It's that the uncertainty does not turn into fear or panic. The uncertainty is not something I run away from. It's like, oh, here's that friend again. It's my March March friend visiting again. And it's a good time to look at things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the biggest difference of being the beginning teacher. Because I remember the first few years, that panic 
I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. So for those of you who are just starting out and teaching and you're feeling the panic that you don't know what you're doing, just remember that as you stay in this profession longer, the panic will disappear, but the I don't know what I'm doing continues. It just becomes more amusing. That's <laughs> because <laughs> when you're looking at somebody else, maybe <laughs> or but yourself. <laughs> I think I think I would be shocked if I went through a march where I didn't have that feeling. That would scare me. I think going into uh, every, a, everybody's got it. Every you know the people I talk with, they go back. It's like everyone's like, oh geez, first day walking making. I don't know. I want to make sure I do it right. How do we do time. this? How do I do this? Yes, yes, and so. That's what I've been thinking about, and that's what I mean when I talk about pre-prep, and I think that's what you talk about, Mm pre-prep, is looking at all those things and then finding out when asking all those questions, and then what's the concrete things I have to achieve in the classroom? And then you can kind of figure out, it's like, okay, what day do classes begin, and if it's new school, it's like, okay, which bus do I take? (laughs) <laughs> what building is my classroom? All those other, all those other fun things that just get piled on to this stuff. Yes, and trying to get the tr- the train schedules down, <laughs> the so, train schedule. So you have enough time, which, right? Which you room, don't, right? Like, you don't waste enough time. So that's the the pre semester preparation, but it's always an interesting and fun thing, and um, I kind of look forward to the the panic. <laughs> Towards the, yeah, yeah, but not in a sense. But I now know it's just part of the cycle, and that's a yeah, good thing. Good right? point. Good point. Is that a teaching is point, cyclical, yeah. and there's not a lot of. I don't know how many other jobs are cyclical. I guess teachers and accountants, maybe, and ski instructors. <laughs> but this cycle that we actually have a beginning and an end to a period, and that we actually have a chance to reflect. Well, professional sports, yeah, you know, like baseball and football season. Yes, football season. Salary slightly different. but that's what's going on so i think that's what i have to spend a lot of time today i'm going to take a long walk today oh cool and you you know that's think about those things and um that's another thing too i would suggest to people is walking or riding a bike or just doing something where the material isn't directly in front of you but still thinking about it because Mm. if i have the materials in front of me i will get bogged down with detail exactly i'll get bogged down with choosing materials and choosing pages whereas if i can't see the things i have to think in more general terms Mm. so if you're a new teacher out there Definitely just taking a long walk and thinking about your classes will kind of take you away from the details so you don't get too bogged down. Yeah, and I guess uh, maybe in our next our next talk, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, the first day itself and things. But uh, in terms of your – and it's not, you know, again, a little bit out of place. It might seem a little bit out of place, but not too early to start thinking about it. Um you know, when you talk about your teaching and your classes and things, you walk into that classroom. Um, don't forget that, you know, this is a, and this is going to counter to the, the, the kind of the Japanese mindset of the, the class as a group and things. These are, you know, individual people. And this is a very much a, a person-to-person kind of job and experience and endeavor and um you've got uh you know you walk in you've got those you know whatever if you're lucky 15 <laughs> 20 or in some cases 40 50 or, or sometimes more individuals in that room um and most of them are on most of them are going to be on board they they they, they kind of want things to work as much as you do um you don't, you don't, that panic is not necessary. Uh, you can, you don't need to panic there. You you just got to learn how to talk to them. It's a great point, Tony. And I, I'd like to just echo it and second it that, and I, when I talk to my, some of my students at my school who are going to become teachers in the future, English teachers, I always say to them, you are not teaching language acquisition devices. These are human beings who you're teaching, and never, ever forget that. And I think that when we look at syllabus and syllabi and, you know, what we're supposed to achieve, that we sometimes forget that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. at least I don't think I do, but I think some people do. <laughs> <laughs> 
is that they're human beings and some days they're going to have good days. Some days they're going to have bad days. And remembering that you're also a human being and that they don't see you though, as a human being, they see you as a, <laughs> as a yes, teacher. They, and, but you're the teacher. You're supposed to know better. So right, exactly. <laughs> they don't, they certainly do not see you as a human being. Well, I, not until the end of the year, end of the year, a lot of them will come around, but yeah. it's really hard at the beginning. Right. And you know, there's, there's, um, you know, always amazed at this because when I was a student, I didn't understand that I had full-time and part-time teachers, mm -hmm. right? I don't remember asking a lecture. Whether oh, it's they, opaque. It's, they they have no right. idea. And our students a, are the same way. So one of the yeah, things that's really- an entity in the other end of the room. What is that? We don't even know. Right. It's really important um, to tell teacher students, right, that, hey, I'm only here one day a week. And if you want to talk to me, that's going to be the time you can talk to me because I'm a part-time teacher. Mm. And just little things like that that help them adjust. And mm. they're practical. And combining on the first day the practical information that they need to know so that they can succeed in the class, but also sharing a little bit about what my hopes or expectations or dreams of for what they will achieve in the class, more right, of a, right, right. an abstract thing. And that's an important thing to do on the first day. And again, those are the things that I'm looking at right now. You know, what do I really want them to achieve on the more abstract humanistic level and finding and, and, and a little bit of why. Exactly. Why do I want them to do that? Why is that important? And if I can't answer the question, then I have to dig a little harder. Or yeah, some homework. Yeah, I got, got, some homework. got some homework. Or I can have to make a decision. It's like, is it important? And if I can't, not exactly, like, I can't explain it. Then I, I got to figure out how. Ah, to explain but it yeah, it. yeah. There's another point though, which is that if I can't explain it, is it really important then? Right. Or and you know again the balancing act of do I need to spend more time trying to figure out why this is important or not and again we come around to the fact that teaching is a craft it's an art and it's not a science and be open to that and I'm trying to find out how much you know from what I did last year and what worked what didn't and how what am I going to take over and you know kind of cross that that bridge between school years that what's going to continue and what needs to be left behind or what is it wasn't it the class song should i stay or should i go hmm. right if i if i if i stay, go there'll be trouble if i go uh, it'll be double. yeah right both, right right, right right if, if i go it'll be trouble if i stay it'll, it'll be, be double, double. so yeah. come on and let me know should i stay or should i go and that's how i feel right now i don't know until i try these things so kind of fun place to be in a way that mm. unknown unbalanced place yeah it is a, it's kind of a special time of the year right this yes. is just this uh last bit of anticipation and excitement and questioning and dread before yeah, the, the dread. semester begins it's all part of it yeah, it's, it's all mixed in okay i think we've covered kind of the pre-prep there we go and i think we have a wrap before and um, the next time we talk with everybody we will have had our first day some of us i guess it's most mo most, most yeah, of us yeah. i think will most of us will have started yeah i think some schools start some late but uh, some people are you know luckier or not and you start late you end late so ah that's a great point uh which do i prefer <laughs> i'm all over the place so man. that's right so the first Two weeks can be well. Here we are in the maelstrom of the beginning, and we're we don't even know. Exactly. We don't we're even know. Confused <laughs> as to whether or not we're starting. <laughs> Most of us will have classes in the first week or not. But I do know that um, I, I have to get used to waking up early and leaving my house instead of waking up early and hanging out. Hmm. I do miss that though. Being able to have numerous cups of coffee. Oh, the, the than, free time is a is a wonderful thing. The free yeah, time is a wonderful thing. Free time is a is it's a wonderful gift we get as teachers. Mm. Okay, Tony. So I think we've covered the topic pretty well. And okay, well, you guys just continue that deluge of uh, commentary and uh, praise at uh, <laughs> two teachers talking at gmail dot com. Um, tell all your friends <laughs> the web page is at yes, we appreciate teachers talking at com. Yes, and we'd like to send special thanks out to nobody at mac dot com because nobody sent us email. <laughs> uh, actually, actually, we've got no, we've got, we some, just, we've got some comments. We've gotten some, some comments to those. Yes, some very kind comments. Yes, so. and also to those people who have rated us on iTunes. 
on the U.S. website. Thank you very much. Yeah, we very, very much that. appreciate it. And, if- and, and also uh, Mary, who once made the suggestion of uh, dealing with um, mm, – the, mm, the incorrect, the, the incorrect <laughs> term, the the politically incorrect term is problem students. Of course, are not problems. It was stu- students with special needs. Anyway, students who don't belong in our class. I mean, really, who don't. So, um, we have not forgotten that topic, and it will come up um, sometime over the next semester or so. Right, but we will actually talk about at some point problem students, and those are mm. not the ones who are learning challenged. What we mean are the students who might not, f- you have no chemistry with, or you have the wrong kind mm. of chemistry. But yes, so if there's anything people want to hear us talk about or share, please do email us at twoteacherstalking at gmail.com. Our website is twoteacherstalking.com. And the podcast is... <laughs> do you think there's a pattern here? <laughs> yeah, you, t- you test me for early onset dementia or something? <laughs> I'm just testing to see whether or not you're listening to I me, or whether no, whether you've turned the volume off or unplugged the headphones. So everybody, Alrighty. thanks a lot, and uh, we'll be talking to you, Tony. Okay, good. Okay, bye now.